We are in the book of Romans, and uh, the thing about it is uh, last Sunday I was here about 6.30, 7 o'clock, getting ready for service, and there was no electric. So we tell people we never shut down unless uh, the electric goes off. We, even if it's cold weather, we come anyway. But uh, the electricity was off pretty much across most of uh, Cumberland County. But we're glad to be here today and glad that you're here. We're talking about the book of Romans, and um, we've kind of changed the graphics since uh, Christmas is over, but we're talking about the heart of the gospel. And when I was uh, getting with the team uh, about this message, Jeff preached the last message two weeks ago, and uh, he did an awesome job in talking about Romans 7, and now today we're in Romans 8. They said if, the, if you were stranded on an island and there was only one book that you could have of the Bible, they asked most scholars, what book would you want? And just about all of them said, I would want the book of Romans. The book of Romans. It is such a complete uh, mastery of the whole salvation message. People said, I would want the book of, of uh, Romans. And right in, kind of in the middle of that book, Romans 8 if there's ever been a great chapter in the book of Romans, it's Romans 8. It's kind of the bridge that takes us from where we were to where we're going. They said if it was a ring, if Romans 8 was a ring, Romans, or Romans, the book of Romans was a ring, that middle point, that, that, that middle diamond there uh, would be the chapter Romans 8. So it's such a powerful, powerful Verse And so we were talking about a title, and I said, I, I think I'm going to call this, uh, this sermon Woke. And that's kind of like a little slang term that a lot of the youth are using and different people are using. And it's, I actually studied it back. It's actually been used for some time now, this term woke. And it, it's the idea that you used to believe something and you don't believe it anymore. Or you were led down a certain path and... And somebody led you astray, but now you woke, you're woke, and you're woke now, and you're not going down that path no more. And we can find ourselves, whether we've been in religious uh, gatherings, whether we've been in college, whether we've been in different fields or uh, uh, politics, there's a time you go, hey, that don't ring right. They used to take a vessel in the Old Testament and and he talks about, Paul talks about our sincere faith. And the word sincere means without wax. And they used to have these vessels and they would sometimes get cracked and they would take and put wax in them and uh, then kind of paint them over and sell them as good vessels. And, uh, but if you were selling a, a really good vessel, it didn't have any wax in it. And it was a sincere, meaning without wax vessel. But they said they used to could thump a, uh, a vessel, and you could just about tell from the being thumped whether it had a right kind of ring to it. You ever heard something before and go, that, that just don't ring right. That just don't sound right. I'm I, I just not getting that in my spirit. I don't feel that in my heart. I don't think that's the truth. You know, or, you know, fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, shame on me. Or you can say it like Bush said it, but I can't say it like that, so I don't know how he got it all fumbled up. <laughs> fool me once, fool you twice, fool us, whatever. But anyway, it's something that don't ring true. And to be woke up, and I can tell you, I, I grew up in an organization, and they were good people and honest people and sincere people, but they never taught about grace. They never talked about grace. They never explained grace. I don't know that they... They didn't quite believe some things about grace. And uh, over the years, uh, I came across a book by Chuck Swindoll. But uh, that was not the beginning of it. When I was in college, I felt led to read the book of Romans. I read it every day, the entire book of Romans, every day for 30 days. I began to write things about Romans, and it began to wake up in my spirit. But yet, I would wake up to stuff, and I'd say, no, that can't be true because it it don't go along with our church organization. And then, no, that don't ring, you know, I, I, don't, I don't know if I can go there or not. But later on, I read Charles Swindoll's book, The Grace Awakening. And I realized that this 
term woke and, and all the way through the Bible and through history, they had these things called this time that people woke up. It was the great awakening. And I believe when Chuck Swindoll wrote the book, The Grace Awakening, it was an awakening. It was a somebody actually putting it in print that grace was bigger and greater and more fabulous than you can ever imagine. And I remember... Uh, preaching it and teaching it and us going over the book of, uh, of uh, this Chuck Swindoll's book over and over and over again and a lot of us woke up to grace at that time and I believe God's wanting to wake us up again you ever I remember back in the 70s they had these these pictures that were in the mall and they'd have it displayed there and you'd be there and it was just a bunch of little dots and stuff and and they'd be just looking at it and you'd be trying to figure out what it is and They'd, you know, they'd be an instruction, step back like 12 feet, turn your head to a little bit to the side and study it and it, it'll come and you'll see it. And I'd be seeing it and people would go, oh, I see it. I see it. That is awesome. That is awesome. But I, could, I don't see nothing. I don't see nothing. I don't get it. And, you know, even Sharon would get it. You know, I always wanted to find it before Sharon found it, my wife. And like, I don't get it. But then finally, all at once, I saw it. I saw what everybody was talking about. I saw what everybody was raving about. And once you see it, you could not unsee it. Every time I looked at it from that point on, I would see it. I got woke up to what that picture was all about. I am praying sincerely in my heart that God does an awakening in our church. That we get woke and for us to get woke and have an awakening with some 23 different backgrounds of church people here. There's some things about the way you were taught you're going to have to leave behind. Like I've had to leave some stuff behind. That we wake up to the, the Spirit prompting. That we listen to the Spirit. You know, in, in Romans writing, it was a wake-up time. Uh, Paul, uh, he was knocked off of his horse and he had a wake-up time. And he realized that he was not working for God. He was working against God. And God said, why are you persecuting me, Paul or Saul? And uh, he told him that and he was going to send him to the Gentiles. And you know, at about that time, Peter was finishing up his ministry to the Jews. And you know, Peter, the, God showed him this sheep coming down. It showed him these animals and the, the, the pork. And, uh, uh, and he, said, he said, take and eat. And, and Peter said, not so, Lord. And you could tell that that was not so because any of us southern guys can tell you that it cannot be biblically wrong to like pork, right? I mean, we're going to cook some ribs if you live in the south. <laughs> but at that time, it was something you didn't do and you especially didn't do it if you were a Jew and you were taught your entire life that you don't eat that. And Peter's looking up there and he's saying, not so, Lord, not so. And God said, what I've made clean, let no man say it's unclean. And Peter got woke up. He had to wake up. He had an awakening. There is such a need in our world today for an awakening. The book of Romans has been such an awakening to John Newton, who was a slave driver. He, you know, he, he, he was woke up one day and he wrote, Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost. He was lost, but now he's found. He was blind, but now he sees. It was a great awakening in his life. You read about John Wesley. You read about most of your great uh, men of scholarly uh, theologians. You'll find that uh, the book of Romans was a wake up. What about Martin Luther who was in uh, the Catholic Church in Catholicism and one day he kept reading it and it just didn't, didn't ring right. It didn't ring right. It didn't feel right. And he was praying and seeking God and he woke up to justification by faith. And he was awakened. That was another, that was a great awakening. God is ready to do another awakening in our land. I really believe it. Uh, a few weeks ago, uh, we'd met, uh, they'd been coming for a while, and uh, uh, met Doug and uh, Priscilla Hadley. And uh, we got to talking, and they said, well, next week, let's go eat lunch together. So the next week, they were so nice to take us out for lunch. And uh, we got to talking, and he's done work in the ministry, and he was telling me about 
Romans and how he loves Romans and how Romans was a part of his life change. And how at one time he had the whole book of Romans memorized and, and chapter 8 being such a powerful book. I've asked him to come share his testimony because it just lit me on fire when he was telling me about it. Uh, about what God began to touch in his life. And he shared in our first service. So he may slip out after this because nobody should have to hear me twice in one day. <laughs> but come on, give Doug a hand and his wife or so on. God bless you, bro. Maybe watch. <laughs> it's right up there. Oh, okay. <laughs> you need my watch? Well, you know what it means when a preacher puts his watch on the podium. <laughs> Absolutely nothing. <laughs> well, I'm here to tell our story, my wife and I. And uh, it all has to do with the Book of Romans. And I don't know if you realize it or not, Priscilla and I went to five different churches before we found this one. And having been in full-time ministry for 37 years, I couldn't find a church that was worth coming in the doors. There was always, things were out of whack until we got here. So I hope you appreciate all of our speakers and our pastor, because I think they're fabulous. I mean, I even heard Teresa, and I came back. She's awesome, isn't she? Well, uh, it's hard to know where to start. I grew up in a church where we uh, knew the Ten Commandments, and we tried to be good. And uh, For a long time, I thought if the good outweighed the bad, I'd make it. But I began to realize very soon in life, even as a teenager, that my bad was far outweighing anything good. Well, in uh, uh, 1966, uh, Priscilla and I were high school sweethearts, and in 1966, we got married. And I told the first service we were two when I got married. But she's quite a bit older than I, so she was, you know, no, not really. So our goal as we got married, one of them was we were looking for God. Where are you, God? Things just didn't mesh. Because I knew that I was separated from God from my sin. So we searched and we searched. And uh, after I got out of the Navy in 1970, my, uh, we, we kept thinking, once we get back to Ohio where I grew up and get back to our home church, everything would be good. Well, it wasn't good. In fact, it was still empty and there was still s something really missing. My goal in those days had been to retire early and be wealthy. And I had moved that date uh, from retirement age down to 40 because I was making a lot of money. 1972 and 73, I'd netted, took home over $1,000 a week. That's a lot of money in 1970. Some of you that were there know that. Most jobs, a good job, paid $450 a month. Well, I thought that if I made money, that would be done too. Well, my, a friend of mine and I, we opened up a pizza place. Uh, Gary is his name, and Gary today is a multimillionaire from all the businesses he's been in. And I was on my way there. I still wasn't content. Amazing, amazing how God works. Three of the first five people that I hired at a pizza place were born-again believers. God had a plan. Two of them were young high school gals. And by the way, if there's high school people in here or young adults, don't you ever forget you can have an enormous influence on people you know. These two young ladies were different than anybody I'd seen. And we finally picked up and went to their church. And one Sunday in the summer of 1972, a man from Africa came to the church that we were at. And he sang in his native tongue, Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise him, all creatures here below. Praise him above all heavenly hosts. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. And then he sang it in English. And my heart was just grabbing hold with every word he said. Because then he went into Romans chapter 8, verse 1 through 4. 
And for the first time in my life, I awoke. He said, there is now, therefore, no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. And the light came on. And all the time, I thought I was earning my way. And I knew I was condemned. Well, during that same time then, I learned other stuff about this. Oh, there's two laws in that text. It's the law of spirit of life in Christ Jesus, and the law of sin and death. And so I think every time in my life since then, when I found myself falling under the law of sin and death, I would come back to Romans 8, saying, God, wait a minute. I'm free in the spirit. There's another law. Now, what's more powerful, keeping a list of rules or relying upon the Holy Spirit of God in your life? And so it came to my mind again and again, and it has ever since then. Not too long after this, in 1974, we sold everything we had in Ohio, and we went away to Grace Christian Academy, or Christian University. And God used the funds that I'd earned, along with us working some more, to put me through college with no debt. Wow, what an amazing thing, any day, let alone then. And I'd been afraid to raise my own kids in my own household because I, I knew I was mistreating them. And God changed all that. And it all started because I learned there was no condemnation to those in Christ Jesus. The Greek, I know a little bit, of, well, I used to know more Greek. Uden aranun katakrima tois in Christu Yesu. Uden is none, no, not. There's not any condemnation to those in Christ Jesus. That's been my life since 1972. And I hope until the day I die, I can share the importance of what Christ Jesus has done in our lives. And the basis of it isn't my goodness. Pfft, nothing to do with me. For the grace of God teaches us to deny ungodliness and worldly lust, that we should live righteously and soberly in this present evil world. So I praise God for Romans, and I fully agree with Pastor. This is the heart of Scripture. There is now, therefore, no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Thank you. Priscilla, stand up back there. That's his wife back there, Priscilla. They're really nice folks. Some of you in the men's ministry, some of the other ministries, small groups ministry, you ought to invite them to share one night. They'll bless you. I may have him come back up one Sunday and help me some more. But talking about being woke... And it's, it's fascinating to read about the people that this passages of Scripture has woke up. And uh, we're going to look, we've changed this to being the heart of the gospel, woke. And so he tells us there in, in Romans, the 8th chapter, the first verse. He says, there is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus. Well, when you're looking at the passage of Scripture and you look at the word therefore, you have to ask yourself, what is that therefore, therefore? Because originally in the Scripture, there was not divisions of chapters like 7th chapter, 8th chapter. We know that in chapter 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, it leads us into the darkness and the depravity of man. It leads us to, it didn't matter whether you were Jew or you're Gentile, whether you were rich or poor, whether you were a heathen or not a heathen, it didn't matter. They were all sinners. They all had come short of the glory of God. They, they all were lost. And so, therefore, what is he talking about? Therefore, in Romans 8, we have verses 1 through 13 talks about the victory we have 
in, in Romans 8. And 14 through 17 talks about the sonship. We are God's sons and daughters. And we have sonship. And in verses 18 through 25 talks about hope, the blessed hope that we have in Christ. It talks about in, in, uh, the help we have through the Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit that helps our infirmities. It's the Holy Spirit that leads and guides you. In Romans 7, there's over 30 times where uh, this, this culmination of the lostness of mankind, Paul said, the things that I wanted to do, I couldn't do. The, the laws I wanted to keep, I couldn't keep. The things I didn't want to do, that's what I always did. 30-something times, he said, I, or me, or my, I keep failing, I keep falling, I just can't live it. And he ends Romans 7 with, O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from this body of death? Then we transition to Romans 8 and 1. It says, there is now no condemnation to those that are in Christ Jesus. He does not use a personal pronoun not one time in Romans 8. But he does say in the Spirit, by the Spirit, of the Spirit, some 22 times. That there is a new life in the Spirit. But you can't have the new life in the Spirit until you're through with the flesh. And, and until you're through with your own problem-solving abilities. That you realize that you're a sinner. He leads us into that. And he tells us that we're that in Romans 3.19. Mankind is lost under the condemnation. Romans 18 through 3.20. Romans 3.19 said, All the world may become guilty before God. The entire world is guilty. So we start off Romans 8, and he said, There is no condemnation. That's the beginning of part of Romans 8 and 1. There is no condemnation. The last passage in the book of Romans says there is no separation. And so he's telling us there is no condemnation and there is no separation and there is no defeat in Jesus Christ. Now I don't know about you, today I've got my trusted King James Version. Not the new one, the old one, the authorized one, the only one that we should be reading, right? <laughs> According to some anyway. I usually bring the NIV, but today I went back to my old King James. I don't know if you've got your Bible here, but your Bible may have read like this. There is therefore now no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. I'm going to tell you my 30-something times of reading that in a month, that's the verse that bothered me most. There is now no condemnation to those that walk not after the flesh, but walk after the Spirit. Because it bothered me that if that was the condition, if I had to walk perfectly in the Spirit, then I would never experience no condemnation. If that was the condition. Because I can tell you, I don't even believe this week that I work walk perfectly in the Holy Spirit. I don't believe last week I walked perfectly in the Holy Spirit. I don't think this year I walked walk perfectly in the Holy Spirit. So if that is the condition of no condemnation, then I will never be free. But I got a study in that. And did you know in the original language, in the Greek language, that is not there? It is not there. In the original language it says, now there is, therefore there is now no condemnation in Jesus. Put a period right there. Period. It's not based on what you do or what I do. It's based on Jesus Christ. And he said there is now no condemnation to those that are in Christ Jesus. Now in the Greek, there's things you can find out in the Greek writings. In the Greek, the word no there is in the emphatic. And so what it is, if that's the most emphatic word, I'll give you another one. When Jesus said, I will build my church, I is in the emphatic. In the Greek language, that's given a, a special position. And it means that's the most valued word in the sentence. I, Jesus was saying, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. He was saying, I 
I myself, I will build my church. In other words, if you don't do anything, if nobody does anything, I will still build my church. It's in the emphatic. That's the things you can see in the original language. In the original language here, it says no is the actual first wording. No is in the emphatic. He is saying there is no, no way, no way, Jose, no way, a thousand times. No, there is no condemnation to those in Christ Jesus. None. Now I can breathe deep. You go, well, how did that get there? Well, the people that copy scriptures, the scribes, they would write the scriptures. And they'd write them, and sometimes they like, I think this sounds better like that. And they'd write some stuff in because they wanted to write it in. Similar to the way they do some transitions nowadays. The NIV don't have that there. The NIV does not have... If you walk not after the flesh, but walk after the spirit, it's not there. Because it was not in the original transcription. Sometimes the King James is better, sometimes it's not better. But if you go back and you go, well, how can we trust the Bible? Because there's been translations and man, there's been manuscripts written from the beginning of times. The scribes kept rewriting. They didn't have copy machines, so guys would sit there and they would write the scripture. They would count the letters. They would count the, 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 the jots and the tittles. And the, they would cross every I and every T. They could tell you how many words was in a, a chapter. They could tell you uh, in all the divisions. They knew it. And they always could come back to other manuscripts. So if anybody messed up, if there was any human error, they would be able to weigh it against years and years and years of manuscripts. So with years and years of manuscripts, we know for a fact that that was not there. So it says there is now no condemnation to those that are in Christ Jesus. None. Period. I know about you, but that excites me. Mankind is lost, is our condition. Therefore, the therefore represents everything he said from chapter 1 all the way up. Mankind is lost. Mankind, the whole world, has become guilty before God. Romans 3 and 23, all has sinned and come short of the glory of God. Who is all? In the Greek, all is all. The religious people, the, the godly people, the Moseses, the Abrahams, the Isaac, the Jacobs, the, the Davids. They've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. The Bible says no flesh shall see him. Every man that was created of the lineage of Adam is a sinner. One man's disobedience plunged us all into sin. It didn't matter how well you tried to live the Ten Commandments. Nobody perfectly lived the Ten Commandments. Mo Moses broke all ten of them in one day. <laughs> when he threw the tablets down. Some of you have probably been pretty bad, but you probably didn't break all ten in one day. Maybe a month. But God, how does God save lost mankind? Is the question Paul is asking. How do we get salvation? How can God save a guilty sinner? And the only answer that Paul has for us. The only answer that's fitting. How can God save a guilty sinner? It's in Jesus. It's a term that Paul uses over 165 times. In Christ. In Christ Jesus. In Jesus. That's the only way any of us is going to be freed from our sin. And so he talks about in Christ we have justification. You know, I grew up and we talked about repentance and then we talked about regeneration. If you were of the generation of Adam, you was a part of the Adam's family. Nobody wants to be in the Adam's family. They're goofy and they're crazy. Nobody wants to be in the Adam family. And so you need to be reborn and regenerated. And so you're going to be born again of Jesus Christ. And you're regenerated. And then you are justified. And justified, we were always taught, justified means just as if I had never sinned. Just as if I'd never sinned. 
justified. And when we're talking about uh, salvation, there's different tenses. There's three tenses in salvation. Justification is a completed act of God. We're not in the process of being justified. You're either justified because you're in Jesus Christ or you're not justified at all. There's only two kinds of people in the world. There's either saved people or lost people. There's either sanctified people or not sanctified people. There's either people going to heaven or people not going to heaven. There's no middle ground. There's no gray. We're all saved the same way in Jesus Christ. No other way. So justification is a final act. It puts us in a position of God. And we are in Christ. We're in Christ. Now I tell you what. If you were in me. And I was in you. And you wanted to destroy me. And you tried to drown me. But you couldn't get my head under the water. You're not going to drown me. And I'm going to tell you what. Jesus is the head of the church. He's the head of the church bodily. And we are in Christ. And Christ is never going to be condemned. He's never going to be sent to hell. He's never going to be lost. And if we're in Christ, we find that same position. We're in Christ. And if we're in Christ, there is no absolutely, positively, a thousand times no condemnation. Sanctification is in a... It's in a uh, it's in a uh, present tense more. It's an ongoing. Sanctification is something that God has started. And it's ongoing. God is sanctifying us. We're not there yet. We haven't. We're not fully. The word saint. You know. You ever turn to somebody and go. How you doing Saint Carl? How you doing Saint uh, yeah. Jeff? How you doing? You know. You, that don't feel good does it saint. We call people brother and sister. But God in his word calls us saints. He calls us the sanctified. He calls us the holy. That he has made us holy. We don't feel good doing that. We don't feel like we're saints. We don't feel quite holy. But God is saying, when I get through with you, you're going to be holy. When I get through with you, you're going to be a saint. And so sanctifying is a process. God's working in us. Paul said, I am persuaded now that what God has begun in me, he will finish in me. And one day I will be presented to the Lord faultless and without blame. And Jude talks about the only one that can present us to God holy, faultless, without blame. Only God can do that. It didn't matter if you was Jewish. It didn't matter if you were a priest. It didn't matter how many years you'd served in the temple. You were still a sinner. The only way not to be a sinner is to be in Jesus Christ. So he talks about justification. Talks about sanctification. Talks about our preservation. Preservation in Romans 8. How are we kept in Christ? Romans 8 is the summit of the mountaintop. We've been climbing a mountain to the mountaintop. And now we're on the mountain. We can see clearly now. We can see how our sins are dealt with. And we can see how we're going to get to heaven. We're going to get to heaven in Jesus Christ because of the blood of Jesus on the cross of Calvary. So he says in Christ we are justified. In Christ we are sanctified. And one day, hallelujah, we're going to be glorified. We're going to be glorified. Now what does glorified mean? It means that God, He takes and gives you a new spirit, a born again spirit. He begins to transform you. He begins to cause you to awaken to the spirit. He begins to give you the spirit life. The spirit begins to lead and guide you and convict you and reprove you. And He uses His word to do that. And you begin to grow in, and you begin to have a hunger and a thirst after God that you used to not have. And then when you do sin... He didn't say there is no more sin. He didn't say that you don't sin. He says that you're not condemned when you sin. He also tells us it's God that worketh in us. He's God that gives you the power and the will to do His good pleasure. The Holy Spirit is working that in us. 
I'm telling you, after I got saved, I still messed up and I still mess up today. And I go, oh my God, I messed up. God said, yeah, I know you would. <laughs> That's why I died for you. That's why I'm at the right hand of the Father making intercessory for you. Amen. I already knew you would. So in Christ, we're justified, sanctified, and glorified. And God's renewing our minds. And one day, this body, we're going to get a new body. Now, some of you young people just got back from, you know, the winter conference. You're all turned on and everything. And you're going, well, I'm kind of, I'm kind of partial to my body right now. I kind of got it going on. I got a smoking hot body. And I don't know if I want another body. Not even a glorified body. Well, you wait until you get a little bit of age on you. You wait until you get a little bit older. How many is ready to trade in your body? I want a new body. I want a new body. And one day we're going to have a new body. We're going to be glorified. The thing that causes us the most harm, and the most regret, and the most hurt, our body that is produced after the flesh, that wars against the Spirit, one day He's going to even put it to an end. And He's going to give us a new body. And we're going to be, we're going to be in that new body. And we're going to be fully blameless, holy. It's going to be finished. We are all headed to sainthood. God already calls us saints because He knows emphatically what He started in us. He is well able to finish in us. So He goes ahead and says... How you doing, Saint Shane? How you doing? I'm going to call you Saint Earl because I know what I'm going to do with you and I know how it's going to finish up. It's the summit. It's the awakening point. This book is powerful. I heard about a guy named Pham Heist. It, toward the end of the... The uh, Vietnam War, he was there and he had been interpreting stuff and he had been in, interpreting and helping people along with the Bible, interpreting it to the Vietnamese. And, and so as the war was falling apart, Vietnam was falling apart, they arrested him and they held him captive and they were starving him and they were beating him and they were telling him, you have been working with the Americans and you, you are doing wrong. And, 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 and you're going to pay for it. And, and this God you've been talking about is not real. And if you really did serve a God, why would you be in prison? Why would we have the upper hand? All this stuff that you're going through. You ever went through some stuff and you wondered where in the world God is? Some of you may be going right now through it. Where in the world is God? Well, this fam was going through hell on earth. And even to be more mean to him, he would not deny God. And they said, well, I'll tell you what, we're going to give you the worst job in the prison. You're going to go have to go clean out the latrine. And he walked in there and this place smelled to high heaven. And he was down there and he was trying to clean out the latrine. And he had made up his mind, no more God. I'm giving up. I'm done. Stick a fork in it. I'm finished. I can't do it no more. And so he's down on his knees cleaning out a latrine and he sees some paper and he looked like there was some paper in the latrine that had text on it, typing on it. And he was wondering what it was. And uh, he started noticing something and he took it out of, the, out of the waist there and he began to look at it and he realized it was Scripture. And he took and he wiped it off the best he could. And it read, And we know that all things work together for the good of them that love God, to them who are called according to His purpose. Then he looked and he found another little piece of paper. And yes, it was Scripture again. And he wiped it off. And it said, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword as it is written for thy sake we are killed all the day long we are accounted as sheep for the slaughter nay in all things we are more than conquerors 
through him that loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor powers nor things present nor things to come nor height nor depth nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. He got down on his knees right there in that nasty place and he repented and told God, God, I'm sorry. God, I'm sorry. Please forgive me. He went back to his captors and he said, I'm going to ask you, if you would, just leave me on latrine duty. I want to clean out the latrine every day. Because he was awakened to the fact that people were using Bibles that they had confiscated from these people. And they were using God's holy word as their toilet paper. So he realized that in the future days to come, there would probably be more pieces of God's word in the latrine. And he wanted to dig it out and wipe it off and look at it and read it and treasure it. When I read that, it made me feel the shame in my heart. I've got a good, clean copy that's hardly used. And I can read it every day. And I don't have to wipe the filth of this life and the waste of this life off of it. And I barely get into it as much as I need to. But I'm telling you, God is fixing to awaken us to a new hunger for God. That you will want the truth. You will covet the truth. You will desire the truth. You'll beg for the truth. And you'll dig the truth out of the latrine. If you've got to. Because we know it's the truth. And only the truth that will ever set us free. Nothing else will suffice us. Nothing else will do. We've got to have the truth. And it is so very little and limited today. The truth. I want the truth. And I'm telling you, sometimes the truth that I was taught goes against the grain. But I believe that I've been awakened to the fact that now there is no condemnation to those in Christ Jesus. There's three tenses of salvation. And what we find, there's past tense justification. My friend, if you're in Christ, you're justified. You're, you're just as if you had never sinned. And you will always be in that position and in that state from now on. You're, there's not stages of justification. You're not a little bit justified. Next week you're a little bit more justified. No, it's a once and completed act. You're justified completely in Christ. It's the only way you'll ever go to heaven. It's the only way you'll ever be saved is in Jesus Christ. I've showed you this before. It's like we all got sin in our life. The most religious people in the Bible has got sin. But you know, here's our sin. And we wear our sin. And no matter how many times you've tried to keep the Ten Commandments, no matter how many times you went to church, no matter how many times you've read the Scripture, you've still got sin, our sin. The only way we can deal with our sin is go to Jesus Christ and repent of our sin and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. He said, for whosoever believeth in men shall not perish but have eternal life. In Christ, in Christ, we're hidden in Christ. He no longer sees us, but he sees Jesus Christ and his blood. There was a penalty for sin. The entire world was condemned. We were condemned, but because of the finished work of the second man, Adam, Jesus Christ, we are saved. We are redeemed. We are without condemnation. We are justified. And we are being sanctified. And one day, glory be to God, we'll be glorified in a brand new body that does not have the traces and the temptations of the body we now have. Amen. 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 So you ask, when does this happen? He says it happens now. Therefore, there is now. Now is a, is a word that deals with, uh, uh, it, it's a word of, of, that has to do with uh, a change that is coming. It's right now, it's a time word. It points to the change that comes into the life of a person who is justified. The person that is justified. We were condemned sinners, but now, thank God, we are justified When does it happen? The moment you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. And it can't be undone. 
Now, it is, it is a, that timely word. We were condemned sinners. The moment you believed, he says in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, there is therefore, therefore if any man is in Christ Jesus, if any man is in Christ Jesus, he is a new creature. All things have passed away and all things have become new. Glory be to God. Now, and so we go from positionally, we're positionally right now justified. We, in our standing right now before God, if you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, you are positionally right now sanctified. You are positionally right now, according to God, holy and blameless. Now, God, the practical sanctification is practically happening, and God's bringing us to this glorious place. I've often thought about people that buy antique cars and restore them. They're looking out there and they go... I know what that's going to be when I get through with it. It's going to be a beauty. If I have to replace every single piece, I'll bring it back to its original beauty. God come to fallen man. He looks out over the horizon. He said, I'm going to take you and you and you. Don't worry about what you look like right now. Don't worry about what you're going through this week and last week, this month. When I get through with you, you're going to look just like my son. You're going to be without spot or wrinkle or blemish. You're going to be perfect in my sight. God will finish what he started in us. Right now there is no condemnation. And one day that whole state of being and position is going to be made perfect and we're going to be glorified. We have been justified by faith. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. It doesn't say we have no sins. It doesn't say we don't have any mistakes. But he says we have no condemnation. Christians do sin, but they have no condemnation. I'd like for... Uh, I need some help here today. I need five guys to come up here. Hurry, hurry. Just come up here. I'm not going to embarrass you. Yeah, Pass these out, brother. There's five of them there. Oh, sorry there. I need one girl to come up here, one lady. I want you guys to stand right up here, and if you can figure it out right here, I want you to go from oldest to youngest, just the first one, and I want the lady to come over here. Come on over here. I want you to stand over here. And you guys, you go down and stand on that end. All right, let's see the oldest here. Right here is probably the oldest. All right, I want you to stand right down there. There's a story in the Bible that I think really shows this all. Stand out there by them seats, if you will. In the Bible, there's these religious leaders. Kind of funny, all these religious leaders, men. They think they're righteous. They think they're holy. Now, this is in the New Testament. These are the best of the best. These righteous people, they're trying to trick Jesus. And they find a woman caught in the act of adultery. You volunteer for this. <laughs> Caught in the act of adultery. I don't know where the man was. Why didn't they bring the man to? And they all had stones with them. They said, according to the law, the Bible says, catch somebody in the act of adultery, you stone them. Jesus gets down and he sees, he sees the condition the woman's in. He gets down on his knees and he begins to write in the sand. We don't know what he's writing. It doesn't give us what he said as he wrote in the sand. But I honestly believe it was the same finger that wrote the Ten Commandments on a stone in the Old Testament. Because Jesus was the Word. And when he wrote the Ten Commandments in the stone, one of those commandments was, Thou shalt not commit adultery. But here's the thing where Jesus levels the playing field. Here was a woman, she had no pretense that she was righteous. She was not claiming to be righteous. She was not claiming to be holy. She was not claiming to be anything. But these guys were claiming to be righteous. They were claiming to be holy. Jesus looked up from writing in the sand and he said, Ye without sin cast the first stone. Guys, step back here. When you drop your stones there, I want you to just drop it on the, on the rock here. Just drop it. Drop it. You didn't get one. Here, here's your one, Earl. 
That's what it sounded like that day. They began to drop their stones. If you read the passage of Scripture, it said they dropped their stones from oldest to the youngest. You can be seated. (laughs) Wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. They dropped their stones from oldest to youngest. You have to only live so long in life where you realize you're not perfect. I used, to, I used to think I was a perfect parent until I had kids. I had all kind of great messages on how to be a great parent. Then pretty soon I had one or two suggestions. There's no pretense in, in Christianity. There is in religion. He said, you without sin cast the first stone. And he looked at her and he said, uh, where is your accusers? She looked around and she said, I have none. And Jesus said, go and sin no more. I want you to get something about this picture. There was all these crowds. There's more than five. There's a whole crowd of people with rocks in their hand. They wanted to condemn her, but they could not because they were her. They were sinners. They were unrighteous. Jesus pointed that out. You think you're righteous. You think you're religious. But ye without sin cast the first stone. The only one there that had the right to condemn her. That had no sin was Jesus. So the ones that wanted to. He said you're not qualified to condemn her. I want you to tell yourself right now. I am never qualified to condemn sinners. Tell yourself. Never. Not even right now. You're not qualified to condemn sinners because you are one. And I am one. He said, ye without sin cast the first stone. And then he said, neither. Now he had the right to condemn her. He was righteous. He was holy. He was God. He said, neither do I condemn thee. Go and sin no more. You can be seated. I'm going to tell you something. Jesus was trying to make the point That only in Jesus Christ, hidden in Him, is there even the inkling of righteousness. We're not righteous because we do certain things or don't do certain things. Romans 7 should prove that. We're only righteous in Jesus and our righteousness is Jesus' righteousness. Our reward is Jesus' reward. That's why he said, if you got a nod against your brother, you might as well get up from the altar and you need to go make it right. And then come back to the altars because your prayer is going to be hindered. He told us, he said, forgive and you'll be forgiven. Because see, if we're in that self-righteous, judging attitude, we can never really be in Christ like we need to be in Christ. And there's not divisions and steps in Christ. We are either in Christ or we're not in Christ. We're either saved or we're not saved. I tell you, all my salvation, I want it to be based on Jesus Christ. What What does no condemnation mean? It doesn't mean no sin. It doesn't mean no mistakes. It means that God has acquitted believers of guilt and has lifted the judicial sentence which they were formerly under. We were all in judgment of death. We were all guilty. We were all condemned. But Jesus came and took our place and took our sentence and took our death. And we find that we now are free in Jesus Christ. God is not, will not, ever condemn you if you're in Christ Jesus. God is not angry with you. I want you to say that. God's not angry with me. If you're in Jesus Christ, God's not angry with you. God's not ever going to kick you out of His family. God's never going to keep you out of His... He's never going to kick you out of His family. Now I'm going to tell you, He didn't say that Satan won't try to condemn you because the devil is the accuser of the brethren. He will accuse you night and day. But I'm going to tell you, as saints of God, we don't need to be on the devil's team accusing people and putting people down. That's not our calling. That's not our, that's, it, 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 we're not the judge. And he tells us, people will try to condemn you. How many knows that's true? People try to condemn you. But you don't have to listen to it. But God will not condemn you. How do we know this? Because we know that God chose David. 
David was chosen of God. David was going to be this, the king of Israel. And what did David do? He was looking off his, his uh, balcony there and he looks down and sees this woman naked taking a bath. And he looks at her and he starts lusting in his mind, in his heart. Pretty soon he acted upon that lust and he committed adultery. Then to cover up his sin, to cover up his guilt, to cover up his condemnation, he made it worse. He went out and he said, get her husband, send him to the front of the battle. They sent Uriah to the front of the battle and he was killed. So in essence, David killed Uzziah. Don't sound like much of a king to me. Don't sound much of a godly man to me. God never did say he was. Two or three of the women that are of the lineage of Jesus were prostitutes. Ramar, uh, though, uh, you can go through the Old Testament. You'll find these women. God never had the pretense that they were righteous. He don't have the pretense that you're righteous in your own self. Peter. Peter, you know, he is boastful like some of us. Well, I'll tell you what, everybody else may sin, but I won't sin. Bless God. I got the King James Version. And you know what he said? He said, Peter, before the cock crows three times, you're going to be denied me three times. Peter goes, it ain't going to happen. You just wait and see. You don't know what I'm made of. Before the sun went down, before the, the cock crew three times, and Peter denied Jesus three times, did it change anything with Jesus and his mission for Peter? No. It didn't change a thing. Peter was still, rose up as the head of the church. He spoke. He was the first one sent to the, Jew, uh, to the Jews. He told Peter, he said, now Peter, one day you are going to die for me, but you're going to be old and gray when you die for me, and you're going to be crucified like I am. And he was. God's got a plan for you that you cannot even imagine. He will finish what he starts. But you can't keep God at an arm length away thinking that, when I get good enough, you're never going to get good enough. When I get righteous enough, I'm going to serve God. You're never going to get right. The only way you're going to get right with God is get in Christ Jesus. It's amazing when the, they ran to the tomb of Jesus and found out that he was resurrected. The angel said, go get the good news out that Jesus Christ is resurrected. Go tell the disciples and Peter. So they get to Peter and they said, uh, Jesus wanted us to come tell you that he's resurrected. And he said, go tell all the disciples and tell Peter. He said, tell Peter. Jesus still considers me a disciple after I denied him three times. I guess so. Peter was out on the lake and he sees Jesus on the shore. and He's so excited he jumps off the side of his boat. Swims to shore and meets Jesus. He said, Peter, do you love me? See, Peter's fleeing from God was not that God ever quit loving him. It was Peter didn't feel like he, he questioned his love towards God. I want you to know something. It changes everything when you realize you're not condemned and God's not going to give up on you and he loves you eternally. And so Peter said, yes, Lord, I love you. Three times. Three times he denied him. Three times. He said, go feed my sheep. It's going to be okay. I already knew you was going to do that. You think when you get down and you, you come to Jesus and go, God, I really messed up this week. And he said, yeah, I knew you was going to do it. I knew it. I think of all the times I messed up. Like, God, you should have knew that. You wanted me to pastor and you know the mess up I am. And you asked me to do it. I mean, God, you, you knew better. Yeah, I knew it. I'm not through with you yet. What about Moses? Moses sinned and Abraham sinned. And it all, the only thing that matters is if we're in Christ Jesus. Next week, I'm going to finish this on out about being in Christ Jesus. I can't today. But folks, God is going to wake us up to his word if you'll let him.
You can be like Peter, not so, Lord, not so, Lord. And you can hold him off for a while. God's coming after you, and he's going to change you. He's going to rescue your families. He's going to save your loved ones. Don't give up on your kids. Don't give up on your grandkids. God's at work. God is going to wake this nation up. Not everybody may get woke up, but some people's going to get woke up. And once you see it, you can never unsee it. You get woke. Can we bow our heads? Dear Heavenly Father, I pray for an awakening. I pray that we get so woke up that we can never look at Scripture the same. That we can never deny what you're doing in us ever again. That God, that we will get so hungry for the Word that we'd be willing to dig the Word out of a latrine to just read it one more time, to hear your word one more time, to realize that nothing can separate us from the love of Christ. Nothing can separate us from the love of Christ. God, I pray for a hunger and a thirst for righteousness. I pray that people want God in their family, in their life, that they treasure, they want the Word. There's that want to coming of the Holy Spirit. It's moving, it's coming, it's, 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 uh, the light is rising. He said, the light has come, it's coming. Open your eyes, it's coming. The Lord is coming upon your family. He's coming upon your life. Let God arise in you. Let Him cause an awakening in you is my prayer today. Amen. If you don't know Jesus Christ today, today is the perfect day to wake up and say, I believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. I want to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ from this day forward.